Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, COVID and our schools. After a year of reimagining and reinventing the way they teach, what lessons have educators learned? And will the pandemic have a lasting impact beyond the classroom itself? Also this morning, while some things may go back to normal relatively quickly post-pandemic, the economic impact for many families may well be felt for many years to come. And it's the hottest breakfast trend on social media, how to create unique, healthy, and delicious smoothie bowls. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, March 15th, 2021. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Ohio has climbed above 18,000 deaths from the coronavirus. According to the state health department, the number of confirmed and probable deaths stands at 18,036. There were 35 new hospitalizations reported yesterday. The funeral was held yesterday for an Ohio college student and his school, Bowling Green State University, held a memorial service for him last night in its football stadium. Clay Gordon with ONN affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus has more. A memorial service remembering 20-year-old sophomore Stone Fultz. I question why I was there March 4th, why I was the one who held him, why I was the one who watched him leave our world. Why was it my boyfriend? If it could happen to me, if it could happen to Stone, it can happen to any one of us. Fultz died on March 7th after an alleged hazing incident at a Pi Kappa Alpha off-campus event on March 4th. BGSU President Rodney Rogers also spoke. I won't share this evening as an opportunity to share what the university is doing to address hazing. Tonight is about stone, and it is with deepest sympathy that my message to you is now more than ever, we need you to be there for one another. Stone Fultz was from Delaware County, north of Columbus. Three men's basketball teams from Ohio are in the NCAA tournament. Ohio State, Ohio University, and Cleveland State. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Today is the Ides of March. Beware the Ides of March. Also, it is Act Happy Day. Dribble to Work Day. (laughs) Which, before you think, what dribble to work day? Uh, It is all tied in with the Monday after Selection Sunday and the beginning this week of the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. So dribble to work day today. It is dumbstruck day. Everything you think is wrong day. <laughs> today. It is, I like this, international eat an animal for PETA day. <laughs> well, okay then. National peanut lovers day. National workplace napping day. Again, observe the day after daylight saving begins. So, workplace napping day. I may do some of that today, too. Because I can. I'm working uh, from the home studio this morning uh, to avoid all of the madness on the Ides of March and the uh, first work day after the time change, which they say more traffic accidents and all of that. So, I'm just staying home. I'm not even going to chance it. Uh, and because I'm working at home, I can take a nap. No big deal. Nobody will, will even know. National Workplace Napping Day. True Confessions Day. I think I just gave you my true confession. It is World Consumer Rights Day. And maybe the most important reason to celebrate today or the most important observance today, it is Fill Our Staplers Day. 
Man, nothing worse than going to staple something and realizing that there are no staples in the stapler. So there you go. So the uh, clock sprang forward across much of the U.S. yesterday morning for daylight saving time. And if you are having a tougher time adjusting than usual, you are not alone. Over the past year, sleep has been affected by many factors related to the pandemic, including anxiety, inconsistent schedules, increased screen time. Even before the pandemic, many Americans got less than the recommended seven hours of sleep per night, and many researchers were already concerned about the twice-a-year time change uh, and its effect on our health. Sleep has been proven to affect every aspect of our health, and getting uh, getting too little of it is detrimental, that's what I mean to say. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine recommends that we get rid of daylight saving time. We mentioned this on Friday, I think it was, on the program, the bill that would set the clocks once and for all and be done with it. So I guess the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is on board. The group says this is a better way to align with our natural circadian clock and minimize health and safety risks. So... If you are dragging a bit today, don't feel bad. You are not alone. Spring right around the corner, five days away now. Uh, We get uh, what spring arrives on Saturday officially. I don't know the exact time. I'll have to look that up. I I don't know the exact time that spring begins, but I know it's Saturday. And as the weather slowly transitions across, uh, across much of the U.S., people are venturing out of their homes more. Researchers at the University of Maryland looked at data from cell phones. Uh, cell phones, because you know our phones track us, so they know when we're at home and that they're better than Santa Claus. They know when you are sleeping. They know when you're awake. They know when you're leaving your home and all of that. Uh, so researchers at the University of Maryland looked at data from cell phones, found that between summer and midwinter, the number of daily trips per person indicated by cell phones pinging more than a mile from their home, had been at around 90% of uh, pre-pandemic levels. So we have been venturing out of the house more. By mid-February, the number of daily trips started to surpass pre-pandemic levels. And by the first week of March, the number of trips people took was up as much as 13% compared to the same time last year. So not only are we venturing out of our homes, we are venturing out more often than we did before all of this happened. Are you surprised at all? I am not. Because I've been saying all along, And uh, now many of the experts are starting to, not to brag, but I was saying this all along, that when all of this was over, that we would be busting out even more than normal. And now more researchers are uh, coming around to that way of thinking. Anyway, uh, researchers at the Maryland Transportation Institute are attributing Americans' newfound wanderlust to fewer new coronavirus cases, hospitalizations, deaths, as well as early spring fever caused by the one-year anniversary of the pandemic. Still, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, warns that travel uh, does increase your chances of getting and spreading COVID-19 through social interactions. They urge people to delay trips when you can, stay home, And, of course, if you do have to venture out, use precautions, social distancing, and all of that. But over the weekend, 
the uh, TSA at the nation's air- airports uh, screened more people than they had at any point since all of this began. So, again, it's another indication we are ready to break out. Always happens in springtime. This year, more than most. The uh, NCAA tournament is set. Three Ohio teams. The Buckeyes, of course, Ohio U and Cleveland State will be dancing. Nine Big Ten teams in all uh, were invited to the uh, Big Dance. It's a record number for the Big Ten and the most from any conference since, what was it? The Was it the Big East had uh, 11 teams? Yeah, the uh, Big Ten, uh, nine teams from the Big Ten, it says here, uh, trails only the Big East in 2011 when that conference set a record 11 teams to the NCAA tournament. So uh, two number one seeds and uh, Ohio State is a number two. Uh, Ohio University and Cleveland State, the other Ohio teams that are going dancing. And the gambling industry is expecting about the same number of people to bet on March Madness this year as did in 2019. Of course, you remember the tournament was canceled last year. The American Gaming Association predicted yesterday that 47 million Americans will make some sort of wager, uh, in some cases legal, in some cases not, um, that is, to, well, and now keep in mind, when we talk about illegal wagering, you're not talking about, you know, clandestine bets plus placed with a bookie. Some people will do that, but illegal gambling would include office pools and, uh, you know, that kind of thing, uh, because those are all technically illegal. But anyway, uh, let me see here, uh, what I think is interesting is 47 million Americans um, are predicted to wager. That is despite the fact that about 8% fewer Americans expect to fill out brackets this year because so many offices and other workplaces are closed. So fewer people are gambling, but the people who are are gambling more to make up the difference. But uh, And that's because of the expansion of legal sports betting in the U.S. as compared to the last time. We had a tournament. The Gaming Association said 30.6 million Americans will bet uh, in other ways for this year's tournament, uh, up from 17.8 million in 2019, including via casinos, racetracks, online betting apps, illegal bookmakers, or just wagers with a friend. So kind of interesting. On the uh, March Madness tournament. Always fun to talk about the possibility of apocalyptic doom on a Monday. Another huge asteroid will be zipping past Earth soon. Dubbed 2001FO32 when it was first discovered 20 years ago. It is the largest asteroid to pass the Earth so far this year at 2,200 feet in diameter. NASA says the asteroid poses no danger to the Earth. It will be 1.25 million miles away, which is more than five times further from the Earth than the moon. It will make its closest approach to Earth on Sunday, this coming Sunday, March 21st, and will be visible to astronomers using larger telescopes in the southern hemisphere and low altitude or low latitude northern regions. NASA says the giant rock will pass by at about 77,000 miles per hour, 
faster than the speed at which most asteroids encounter Earth. So it's big and it's fast. Makes one orbit around the sun every 810 days, so about two and a quarter years. So it'll be a while before this one will be back. But just to let you know, another asteroid is coming. Make sure you are fully aware of all of these things. And here's something to think about this morning as we get your day started. One of the most buzzworthy and interesting stories to start your day. Everybody's still buzzing about the Prince Harry-Meghan Markle interview with Oprah last week. Could we all be referring to Meghan Markle as President Markle one day? On Sunday... British newspapers reported that Meghan Markle wants to be the first female president of this country and is already networking with senior Democrats to help her achieve that goal. The report cited a senior politician in the UK who has close ties to Washington for the alleged news that she has been openly networking. The story cited other sources as saying that Meghan hopes her and Prince Harry's headline-making interview will help fulfill her political ambitions, which she has apparently previously spoken about with friends. Campaign could be happening as early as 2024 if President Biden decides against running for a second term. An unnamed friend told Vanity Fair magazine last year that one of the reasons the Duchess of Sussex did not give up her American citizenship was so that she had the option to go into politics. So... Think about that. How weird would that be if Meghan Markle would be the first woman president of the U.S. and a British prince could be the first gentleman of the U.S.? (laughs) That would kind of be like everything going full circle, wouldn't it, in world history? There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. We continue our look back uh, at the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus pandemic. It was quite literally 52 weeks ago that schools closed. The governor ordered schools closed effective March 16th, 2020, for what was initially a three-week extended spring break. And it turned out to be the rest of the year and the beginning of this year. Most local schools are now back to in-person learning, at least through most of the week. But after a year of reimagining and reinventing the way they teach, what lessons have educators learned? And will the pandemic have a lasting impact beyond the classroom itself? We are joined by Findlay City School Superintendent Troy Roth. And hard to believe it has been exactly 52 weeks since everything shut down uh talk about that uh that initial reaction and having to reimagine how you educate students kind of on the fly good morning chris yeah it's hard to imagine that uh we've been dealing this with this for over a year now i remember uh back to the day where uh 
previous superintendent, Kurt, made a decision uh, with the board that uh, we were going to close school and we're going to have a one or two day professional development uh, to learn how to uh, teach students hybrid or remotely. And And that was uh, it. Two days. Two days to figure out how to do this. Correct. That was it. And that, you know, at that time we thought that, you know, this will, this may last a week or so, and then we'll get our kids back in school. But uh, little did we know that a year later we would still be dealing with it. But uh, yeah, initially we thought it was going to be a few days, a week shut down and, and we would move on. But uh, here we as, are. As time, here we are a year yeah. later and, and we're still working with it. Yeah. Um, so at the very beginning, I think everyone was kind of all in. It was almost rather exciting. It was something new. It was something different. I know the the kids were kind of enthusiastic about it. Uh, I'm sure there was a certain level of enthusiasm, maybe apprehension on the part of teachers. But the longer this goes, the longer, longer it drug on, uh, the more that enthusiasm waned. How would you describe uh, the the beginning of remote learning versus where you are now? Uh, yeah, I, I think we, we've seen improvement. Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, at the beginning, it was exciting. It was something new, you know, no one really knew uh, a whole lot about COVID, but uh, we were going to adjust. And I was very proud of our staff and our students for adjusting. Uh, but, uh, you know, from where we were a year ago and where we are now with our ability to deliver remote education, uh, we've grown leaps and bounds. But uh is it a perfect system when we're remote? No, it's not. We're still learning and, and our students are still learning on, on how to uh, be remote students and, and what that looks like. So, uh, you know, we, we've we've had some ups and downs, but uh, overall, I, I think we've adapted pretty well. Well, and that's really what I want to get to. Uh, the reason I bring this up about how this has evolved over the course of the past year, because it had been discussed uh, previously before all of this happened, the possibility of some sort of remote learning as an alternative to calamity days when we get big snowstorms instead of having the kids out for several days in a row and not being in class maybe doing uh, something like this. Um, So it's not like this was completely off the radar before. Based on what you have learned over the course of the last year, is that still a viable option? I think it is. You know, one of the things we had to uh, adapt to real fast was that all our students didn't have technology or didn't have devices. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, within a few weeks, our technology uh, department led by Martin White was able to get all our students a device, a Chromebook or a a Chromebook or a laptop Mm -hmm. or another device, an iPad that, uh, you know, all our students didn't have at that time. So, uh, you know, going remote, it's still an option uh, for calamity days. That's something we will we will look at uh, and continue our discussions with. You know, what do calamity days look here going forward? Right. Um, and- but uh, those are, those are discussions we will continue to have with with our our teachers union and our collective bargaining units uh, throughout the spring. And beyond that, again, in the early part of all of this, uh, some people had thought, well, you know, maybe this is the future of education. That there might be students in class, you know, three or four days a week, and there might be a regular, regularly scheduled remote learning day built into the schedule. Has that thinking changed at all, or is that something that might be looked at on down the line? It's something that may be down the line. I think, uh, you know, 
when we have professional development days for for staff and students are out, those may be opportunities where a remote option uh, where we wouldn't lose a, a day of learning for the students. But those are things that uh, we'll continue to look at down the road. The other uh, question, again, as we reflect on everything that has happened over the course of the past year of COVID in our schools, is how this may have a lasting impact beyond the classroom itself. Uh, obviously, uh, the uh, schools rely on tax revenue, which has been down over the course of the past year. You have seen uh, the results of that. We've uh, also uh, the Findlay City Schools were in the unfortunate position of having to go to the taxpayers and ask for uh, levy uh, monies during the course of the pandemic. Not the ideal. There's never a good time for schools to ask for uh, a, a levy, but certainly the timing on, on this uh, was not uh, ideal, and we have seen the fallout with respect to that. We have, and like you said, Chris, it's never an ideal time to uh, ask the taxpayers for additional operating money, but then you throw in a pandemic uh, mm -hmm. and the uncertainty that the pandemic brought with us. Uh, we do believe that, you know, had an impact on us failing our three operating levies, but, uh, you know, we have a plan moving forward. Uh, we are seeing uh, some assistance from the state and federal government uh, that should help uh, help us financially and impact us going into the future. And how critical is that to stave off further cuts? I mean, we know that uh, already there's some building consolidation. We've talked about that on the program in the past. But what beyond that are you looking at as a possibility of uh, having to further tighten the belt, which you can trace back directly to this? And how much will uh, additional funding from the federal and state governments to sort of make up for some of those shortfalls uh, make a difference in, in all of that planning? Yeah, we'll continue to evaluate where we are at financially. And, uh, you know, we do, we do anticipate uh, help coming from the federal and state government. So uh, I think, you know, we're set now with, with our building reductions and, and some of the cuts we made that, uh, you know, we'll continue to tighten our belt and do that uh, even in a non-pandemic year. We always want to be fiscally responsible. So we'll mm -hmm. continue to look at uh, all possibilities without uh, limiting the opportunities for our students. Uh, we want to continue to provide a great education for our kids. And I, I think we can do that and continue to do that. But would it be fair to say that, and this probably applies not just to the Finley City Schools, but other uh, schools across the state, across the country for that matter, uh, that we might not have seen the last of the impact of the coronavirus, even after the kids are back in school, as you look at these long-term budgets and the long-term impact of, of funding and tax revenue and all of that that uh, as brought on by the pandemic. Sure, absolutely. I think that's fair. And there, and there may be things that, uh, you know, we're not considering at this time that mm. uh, down the road, we might think, oh, we didn't see that coming or, or yeah. that's a direct uh, effect of, of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, we'll address those as, as they arise and uh, continue to be fiscally responsible. We will leave it there for now, looking back at uh, a year of COVID in our schools, reimagining and reinventing the, the way they teach, and at the same time, learning some lessons along the way themselves. Uh, educators in the pandemic, Findlay City Schools Superintendent Troy Roth, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. So with the one-year anniversary of the pandemic, we have been talking about 
facing the realities of how it has impacted us. Obviously, there are many layers to the question of the economic impact, and while some things may go back to normal relatively quickly over the next few months, the financial burden could very well play itself out over a much longer period of time. Carla McAvoy is the board chair-elect for the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. And Carla, you recently did a survey which shows just how much of a burden COVID-19 has put on people's finances. What were some of the results that most stood out to you in that survey? Yeah, so the goal was to really assess how consumers have uh, have fared during COVID-19. And not surprisingly, uh, it's it's been very difficult. There were a few statistics that really struck me. One is that uh, about 27% of uh, parents who took the survey mentioned that they had taken retirement or investment account money out to help pay for their adult children's living expenses. Mm. And not only did they do that in 2020, but they felt that they were probably going to have to do that in 2021 as well. There also was a lot of concern shared about uh Parents who did not feel that their their children were set to become financially secure, and and then it, you know, sort of on the other hand, there are a lot of children who said that they didn't know that their parents were going to be prepared for retirement. So th- those really uh, struck me as um, as as concerning and and I guess not terribly surprising, but things that we should. Um, you know, certainly as financial planners address and and help people um, get through that. It it, it certainly underscores that idea that this is going to have a long-term impact on families, even long after we get back to quote-unquote normal, where we can go to restaurants again and go to the movies and go to sporting events. This is something that is going to have a lasting financial impact on many, many families. Absolutely. I I truly believe that the decisions that people are making now um, can very well impact them long into the future. And and I would encourage them to, you know, start thinking about perhaps getting some uh, a professional financial planner, a fee-only financial planner to, to take a holistic look at what what is going on with their financial lives and make making sure that the decisions that they're making now have a limited impact on their future. So I, I want to ask some examples uh, of ways in which people can improve or things that people can do to help improve their financial situation. And this is really kind of a, a two-part question. Number one, what can people do in the immediate And number two, what can people do to help ease that long-term effect that all of this could have? In the immediate, I would say, um, you know, first off, make sure that the decisions that you are making are are the right ones. Again, as we've mentioned just just previously, we don't want to make decisions that are going to have a serious impact on the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that might be engaging a, a fee only planner to help you through those decisions. The the other thing that I think sometimes people fail to take advantage of is all the social programs that have been passed through the various stimulus packages that we've had. And and again, there's another one that is likely to to wrap up this week. And so there's 
you know, unemployment has been extended. There are various loan pro- programs. There are some, um, you know, mortgage and, and rent forgiveness. Right. So make sure that you're aware of what all those different um, programs are and that you're taking full advantage of them. Going forward, I think what uh, what this pandemic has proved to us yet again, and it, it it's, you know, we find this after every crisis is that we want to remind people that having a um, an emergency fund is is very important. You never know what what is around the corner. I you know had I predicted the pandemic, absolutely not. Yeah. I would not have built that into any of my financial models. But but I also would not have predicted the you know Japanese tsunami a few years ago mm-hmm. or um, the Great you know, Recession. The GameStop mm-hmm. would be <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 those those kinds of things. Well, so, and that's, as you point out, I mean, we have many of these same conversations after every crisis. So the, the advice in large measure doesn't change. But uh, are there certain things that this crisis, this specific crisis has brought on that are unique to this crisis? You know, what, one thing that I don't think people think about uh, too often is that this is a dual crisis. It's not only a crisis of uh, finances, it's a crisis of health. So people are are doubly concerned, not only that, you know, they're okay financially, but are they going to be okay and, and not get uh, incredibly sick? Mm-hmm. And so that has brought on um, heightened emotions that I think are a little bit different than we normally see. Um, so yeah. this again is is you know speaking to getting somebody else to to take a look at things. Yeah. Um, when we're this emotional about our money, we don't make the best decisions. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's yeah. It's better to to let somebody else help you out with that. Yeah, have maybe uh, somebody who can look at it a little bit more objectively, and also uh, along those same lines. You know, even though we want to have this conversation and put this uh, thought in listeners' heads uh, and talk about that is very important, it's really kind of tough to talk about strategies because those will change based on a person's current situation. I mean, some people took on a great deal of credit card and personal debt to make make ends meet through all of this. For others, they may have liquidated their savings, so there may be different issues and hardships going in, and then again as well. You've got people who remain unemployed or were already confronting a debt issue before all of this started. So for those people, this is certainly a long way from being over in that respect. Absolutely. And, you know, again, um, you know, thinking about about engaging a planner, um, I remind people that uh, first off, they shouldn't be embarrassed to come and see us and tell us, uh, you know, what might be going on. I, I sometimes get this sense that that they don't, they think we've never seen it, and of course we've, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've seen all of these kinds of situations, and we're not going to be shocked, and we're not going to um, think badly of them. Yeah. But, but what we can provide is this again, this sort of. A holistic, um, unemotional look at at their situation, and and sure they may have uh, made some mistakes just to kind of get through things last year. But let's let's make sure that you know you're not 
making those mistakes going forward and that mm-hmm. we can sort of get you on a good path again. In in as short amount of time as possible, recognizing that this is not going to be a quick overnight fix for a lot of people. You bring up a good point. There are 300 million people uh, in the U.S. Uh, chances are pretty good that whatever you're dealing with, somebody else <laughs> is dealing with the same, same issues. Uh, there are very few uh, incredibly unique situations that uh, you've never seen before. So what is the first step? I mean, how do people get more information and uh, go about reaching out to find a personal financial advisor, especially in the current climate? Well, first off, I would definitely recommend that they look for a fee-only financial advisor. And a fee-only advisor is one who only whose only source of compensation is the client themselves. So there's... Um, there are no commissions that they receive or any any money that comes from anyone other than the client. Uh, part of that then is that they act as a fiduciary to the client, meaning that they're putting the client's interest ahead of their own. Um, where, where they can go to find um, fee-only advisors, uh, I'd recommend that they do go to the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors website, which is NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A dot org. And there, there's two pieces to the website that I would recommend. One is there's a find an advisor tool. So if they would like to look for a particular advisor or a, an advisor in a, you know, specific location or that addresses, you know, specific issues, they can search for all of that. But there are also a lot of client resources out there that, uh, or consumer resources that they they can just read through to educate themselves on on some of the things that they might want to consider, especially now during COVID-19. Again, Carla McAvoy is the board chair-elect for the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Carla, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. And now, your update of the odd and unusual side of the news, which is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You remember uh, the story, oh, this has been two or three weeks ago, the doctor that was uh, on a a Zoom Zoom call uh, for traffic court while he was in the operating room. So here's another uh, story of uh, virtual court delivering solid absurdity thanks to the silly ways that uh, lawyers and defendants make their appearances through Zoom. A Michigan man is a strong contender for one of the worst virtual traffic court appearances as he showed up to court for his suspended license uh, case from the driver's seat of his car. <laughs> Here's a tip. If you are appearing in virtual court on a charge of driving on a suspended license, you probably should not appear for your court uh, Zoom appearance from the driver's seat of your car. The uh, virtual traffic court fails keep on coming. A couple of weeks ago, that plastic surgeon decided to appear in traffic court from the operating room. Another unfortunate lapse of judgment happened this week. With his license already suspended from a prior infraction, a Michigan man appeared in court from the driver's seat of his car. So, don't do that. (laughs) Elsewhere in the broken news, a Texas man has been sentenced to 20 years behind bars 
for bank robbery, but that's not the odd and unusual side of this story. The kicker is that he robbed the bank during a test drive of the car he intended to buy using the proceeds from his bank robbery. Uh, yeah, that's right. This, uh, this guy, 50-year-old Eric Dion Warren, used a BMW loaner car. Right after he robbed the bank, he returned to the dealership to attempt to purchase the vehicle with the stolen funds. Uh, Mr. Warren was in the process of finalizing the purchase from the dealership when he, I guess, decided he wanted to take it for the, he told the uh, dealership he wanted to take it for a test drive, just to be sure. He drove to the uh, AIM bank in Wolferth, Texas, approached a teller with a fast food paper bag and a note declaring her declaring that he only wanted hundreds and fifties. The teller filled the bag with cash from her drawer. She did toss in a pack of $20 bills with marked serial numbers. Mr. Warren then returned to the dealership where he attempted to use $3,000 of the more than $5,000 he stole as down payment for the vehicle. The car deal quickly went south when authorities called the dealership, notifying them of the recent robbery. And how did they know to call the dealership? Well, they were able to link the dealer plates on the car that was parked outside that he made his getaway in. (laughs) So they called the dealership. Hey, you may want to be on the lookout for this guy. He just robbed a bank with one of your cars not the sharpest tool in the shed the good news is where he's going for 20 years he's not going to need a car so there is that uh speaking of banks in the broken news uh this was a, a story uh from reddit and i'm not sure exactly where this is but you know that your bank when your debit card is about to expire Uh, they will send you a new one. Usually, they send you only one. But one man on Reddit says his bank actually sent him 64 extra debit cards (laughs) when his was set to expire. He shared a photo of all the cards still attached to the letters from the premium members credit union. He said, back in December, I started receiving replacement debit cards. They'd show up one or two at a time every few days. I called my bank several times, but the card uh, issuance is handled by a third party, so there's nothing they could do. The only difference between each card is the expiration date uh, and the uh, security code on the back. That three-digit security code, they're all sequential. Uh, The first card expires December of 2023, the last one uh, April of 2030, and with every card in between, though I seem to be missing... July of 2029. (laughs) That's the only date that he hasn't received a new card uh, with an expiration date. He says he now thinks the issue may have been resolved as he canceled the card and hasn't received any more duplicates in over a week. So 64 replacement debit cards. How much money do you think that he is going to spend out of his bank account? That's And finally... 
in the broken news this morning. Do you have one of these in your neighborhood? We have one of these uh, in our neighborhood. Uh, somebody in their uh, front yard or their driveway has set up one of those uh, community libraries. You see them around. I think there's one at uh, Riverside Park, uh, you know, a little uh, uh, box where people put books and other people go and, and take books and bring other books. It's like a little community citizen-run library. The idea is very sweet, but... As we know, the world is not always pure of heart. Case in point, from Great Britain, officials in the small English village of Hurstburn are complaining after several racy books uh, were uh, found in the converted public telephone booth that had been turned into a neighborhood citizen-run library. The unknown donor of the books has been warned to find another outlet for their collection of erotic fiction. The Hurstburn Parish Council issued a plea to residents last week on Facebook, writing, quote, We love our red phone box library on Church Street, but we don't love the salacious adult literature being left there. So whoever it is, please don't leave inappropriate books. The majority of visitors are children, and some of them are tall enough to reach the shelves where the books for the grown-ups are. <laughs> yeah, good rule of thumb. Probably need to have some... Uh, Restrictions, some uh, ground rules on that. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Everyone deserves to be safe and free from domestic and sexual violence in our homes, relationships, and communities. If someone you love is going through abuse, reach out and let them know they are not alone. Open Arms is here to help. Call our 24-hour crisis hotline at 419-422-4766. Open Arms provides free, safe, and confidential services. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We were mentioning that the uh, TSA says more than 1.3 million people passed through American airports on Friday, marking its busiest day since the start of the pandemic. Obviously, good news for the country's beleaguered travel and tourism industry, but the CDC says non-essential uh, travel is still strongly discouraged, even if you are fully vaccinated, which brings up the point when things start to get back to normal, as they uh, are now, should people have to prove that they have been vaccinated to travel or do other routine things? A new poll from Reuters and Ipsos uh, that was out on Friday, 62% of Americans say that people should be required to have been vaccinated to fly on an airplane. 62% would make that a condition being able to fly. 55% said it should be required for being able to go exercise in a public gym or go to the movie theater or attend a concert, a music concert. 60% say that they would, want, they would want to work for an employer that requires people to be vaccinated before returning to the office. And 56% said unvaccinated workers should remain at home. Uh, again, this is from a uh, Reuters Ipsos poll uh, out on Friday asking people if vaccinations should be required uh, before people are allowed to do these common things as the pandemic wanes. Overall, 72 percent 
of those in the poll said it is important to know, quote, if the people around me have been vaccinated, unquote. There was some division by party. No big surprise there. Uh, Republicans less likely than Democrats to support requiring vaccinations. But even among Republicans, 50% support requiring being vaccinated to fly and 40% requiring a vaccination before people allowed to go to gyms or movie theaters. So I don't, I don't think that that is going to come to pass. It is certainly a very controversial idea uh, that people would have to prove that they are vaccinated in order to do all of those things. But there does appear to be some support, at least according to this uh, Reuters Ipsos poll uh, out on Friday. We were talking about this uh, just the other day. I think it was uh, Thursday of last week. Uh, you may remember the smoothie bowl craze. It is the hottest thing on social media right now, this new breakfast trend. And joining us is registered dietitian Jillian Barkum. She is the smoothie bowl sommelier from kitchen appliance maker Ninja, which, of course, everybody uses to make their smoothies. Uh, so, Jillian, for, for those who haven't heard about this yet, explain what this uh, uh, smoothie bowl uh, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, we've seen this last year. I think most people have been spending more time at home and more time in their kitchens. So they're getting really creative with what they're making. And smoothie bowls fit perfectly into that because it's similar to a smoothie, but it's a lot thicker and creamier. So you can actually pour it into a bowl. You can sit down and you eat it with a spoon rather than a straw. There's so many variations on all the ingredients and toppings. So I think that's why it's been such a popular trend out there because it can be fun. It can be fun to create. You want to share pictures of it or share the recipes with your family and friends, and you want to enjoy them too. Well, that's why it has become a social media craze is because everybody is uh, sharing their creations, and uh, as such, they become uh, kind of as much about the art of creating these uh, so that they look as delicious as they taste. Oh, exactly. I mean, there's so many different toppings and variations you can do. So it's really fun. And I honestly, like I went to the store and just grabbed some different things that I don't usually have in my kitchen, but wanted to have fun ways to incorporate them into smoothie bowls. So there's just a lot of different recipes and ways that you can enjoy them. So uh, if someone was interested in becoming a smoothie bowl sommelier, how do they get started? Well, the first thing you need is the right tool, right? So I, I recommend the Ninja Foodie Smoothie Bowl Maker and Nutrient Extractor. This thing takes all of the guesswork out of making a smoothie bowl. So we have you covered there. And it has some really awesome features. So it has a smart twerk technology, which basically means it's powerful. It'll blend through all of those frozen ingredients for you. No more taking your blender and shaking it or having to get the spoon out to shove it all down to the bottom or even hitting it on the counter. I know we've all had those frustrating moments when we're trying to blend things up. You don't have to worry about that here. It also has these auto IQ buttons. You can press these buttons and they have programs in there to blend. So again, brainless. You don't have to think about it. They have it all covered. I love those like little tamper they have. It's a built-in tamper they have here. And that allows you to actually add in more of those frozen fruits and veggies and then less liquid because we want a really thick smoothie bowl right so if you have all that that liquid in there it'll make it too soupy so you don't have to worry about that they have you covered with a really thick smoothie bowl here and probably my favorite 
is it's really easy to clean. You can put all the blender pieces into the dishwasher and just wipe off the seat. Well, that was, you kind of touched on one of the questions that I wanted to ask because uh, obviously a lot of people have been making smoothies for years now. This is a little bit thicker, as you were saying, than your typical smoothie. So what's the secret? Do you have any uh, recipe ideas that you can share? Definitely. I mean, to really get that thick consistency that you want, really that Ninja Foodie Smoothie Bowl Maker is what I've seen to be like the game changer. But to do that, you I mean, you can have fun with some, some recipes. So I actually worked with the Ninja Test Kitchen to create a recipe that I think you'll love. We're taking you back to your childhood. Think Saturday morning, watching your favorite cartoons, eating a bowl of cereal. And that inspired us to make this seriously fruity smoothie bowl that is inspired by that fruity cereal we all love. It has a base of frozen strawberries and banana. And then we added in some coconut milk, a little coconut cream and protein powder. And then one star ingredient that everyone has been shocked by, we added in some frozen rice cauliflower. So you're getting the vegetables mm. in there, which I love as a dietitian. I know. And you know what? Everyone keeps, everyone's like, it sounds good until you get the cauliflower. I was going to say, I, I, tell you. I was going to, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure that cauliflower for breakfast is one of the things that would have immediately popped to mind. I, I know, I understand that, but I'm going to tell you, once it's blended in, you literally cannot taste it. So you'll get all of those nutrients without any taste. I have two very picky taste testers that prove this to me, my <laughs> four-year-old and my, my two-year-old. So if they're going to eat it, you can eat it, you guys, okay? So you blend it all up, but then the fun really starts with the topping. So you can add in that fun cereal on top, that fruity cereal. You can do some fresh fruit and even like a little sprinkle of coconut if you want. Okay, so uh, where do we, and you know, again, uh, we've always been told breakfast is the most important meal of the day to start the day off right, and uh, over the course of the past year, uh, with everything being thrown for a loop schedule-wise, people are kind of rediscovering breakfast, which is a good thing, and now it's gone social media, uh, it's gone viral on social media with this uh, smoothie bowl craze. Where can we get uh, those recipe ideas and uh, more information? information on this definitely yeah you're going to want to check out ninjakitchen.com or on instagram at ninja kitchen they have information on their products and recipes and not the breakfast honestly you can have this anytime so i think you'll really be inspired by the recipes that they share on their instagram and on their website for fun ways how you can incorporate smoothie bowls and any meal of the day um plus there's information on a fun social event that we are hosting it's going to be a smoothie bowl social it's a virtual event and if you want to add smoothie bowl master to your resume I'm going to walk you through everything. I'm really excited about that one. And of course, I'd love to connect with everyone too. Please follow me on social media at Millennial Nutrition. I will share all of my smoothie recipes, my smoothie bowl tips, everything there. There you go. Now now you know everything you need to know about the smoothie bowl craze. Again, registered dietitian uh, Jillian Barkum, the smoothie bowl sommelier for our uh, kitchen appliance maker Ninja. Jillian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that is our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.